Good evening. Welcome to a special event here tonight in the Kafkazi Shul, Ocean Parkway, Brooklyn. Followed by my lecture, it will be Rabbi Ronen Shaulov, a famous speaker from Israel. He will speak in Russian. Anyone who speaks Russian is welcome to stay. Uh, Rabbi Ronen Shaulov is one of one of the only. Thank you. One of the only speakers left in the world. You can count on one hand how many speakers left in the world, on literally, that speak strong. Most speakers today, they speak very soft. They don't really speak about what the Torah say. Everyone is afraid what people would say, trying to be politically correct. He is not one of them. He speaks strong. He wakes up a lot of young boys and girls in Israel to do tshuva. It's an opportunity if you speak Russian. If you don't speak Russian, you have nothing to do here. But usually he speaks in Hebrew, but sometimes in Russian also. This lecture will be, as you see in English, it will be Refuat Rosa, Bat Buba, and Shalom Bait Leyosef Ben Rosa, Uviat Bat Rosa. Also, Refuat Shmuel Baruch Ben Malka, Refuat Malkiel Ben Jana, Refuat Miriam Bat Tarnaja Tirza, Refuat Avran Ben Chaya Aliza, and Refuat Anefesh Ufat Aguf, David Yosef Ben Chugla. And Zivuga Gun Bekarov, Lenomi, Saada Badina, Latzlachau Vriot, Letzofia, Bat Anael Allegria, Latzlachau Parnasatova, Leavram Chaim, Binyamin, Benchugla, Latzlachau, Ledakala, Lanael Allegria, Badina, Allegria, Badina, and also Lerfuat Ruven, Benchava. And Lavdi, Lelu, Nishmat, Levi, Leon, Leib, Yitzchak, Ben Peru, Meir, and Lelu, Nishmat, Philip, Feibel, Ben Scheidel, Scheindel. Tov, I think I cover all the names. Sometimes you have too many names, sometimes not too many. Baruch Hashem. Tov. As you all know, if you're aware a little bit about the news in Israel, the news in Israel is effect, should affect every Jew in the world. I know there's American Jews, they don't care about Israel. Literally, they admit that they don't see any connection between they, them and the Jewish state. They look at them as American, look at themselves as Americans, and whatever happened in Israel, they can care less. As far as they're concerned, the Palestinians can take it over. They don't care. They look at themselves as American. They marry non-Jews. They ignore their Jewish, Jewish identity, but obviously you are not those kind of Jewish American people. Someone who connects to Torah automatically connects to Eretz Israel. A part of the Torah is Eretz Israel. Most of the mitzvot of the Torah you need to do only when you're in Eretz Israel. When you have Bet HaMikdash, you can have Bet HaMikdash in New York. So a lot of the sacrifices, a lot of the masrot, a lot of the different things that the Torah said to do is only in the Holy Land. The land that the eyes of your God are focused on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And it actually relates and connects to our parasha that we read yesterday. Parashat Shlach, the horrible tragedy of the spies, which happened to be as usual. Whenever something happens in the world, it relates to the weekly parasha of that week. 
And, there were, and now in Israel there's a major tragedy taking place, major, one of the worst in many, many decades. What is it? The lefty traders, enemies of Israel, they call themselves Jews, but there's no connection between them and Judaism, together with the Arabs who declare that they won't rest until they slaughter all Jews and kick them out of Israel. At least they're not hypocrite. We should give them that. They're not hiding their intention. They say it every day. And you just got a demonstration 10 days ago, what they did, sh shooting at us in the street, burning our cars. In Israel, Arab citizens, meaning living in the cities of Israel. We're not talking Hamas. Your neighbors in Jaffa, in Tel Aviv, everywhere. So together with the lefties, with the support of the Trader Supreme Court, were able finally to get the righties, if you can call them righties, big traders, Bennett, Saar, biggest lowlife on earth, that betrayed all their voters, all the righties vote for them, and they went with the left and the Arabs and dumped all their voters to the garbage. You never saw in a history, in politics, such a dirty trick like this. It's unbelievable. It's hard to believe that things like this going on. And there are two serious problems that we have right now. This government hopefully will not survive because it only has 61 members. Once you go down to 60, you're done. You need 61 from 120 to, be, to have the majority of the house. When you're on a border of 61, that means nobody can leave Israel. If they move out of Israel and you make a vote and they're not there to vote, the government can collapse. How long will it remain? Two months, three months, nine months? Just about it. But that's enough time to destroy what we built in 70 years, so destroy it completely. Two major dangers we have right now. Two major dangers. In case you don't know, every election, there was Benjamin Netanyahu going together with the religious parties. The Sfaradim and the Ashkenazim. The Sfaradim and the Ashkenazim together are about 16 seats in the house. Benjamin Netanyahu is about 32, 33, 34. Together is about 50, 50 something. Another party that have seven, eight, and they make a majority of the, of the, of the house and they can form a government. In the last four elections, they did not reach 61. That's it. They got stuck at 57, 58. Nobody can form a government. Not the right, not the left. Four elections took place. Again, they cannot form a government. It's much like a curse. It's never happened in seven years in Israel. Now there was another election, the fourth one. And uh, they, together with the Arabs, they convinced two parties from the right to join them and to knock Netanyahu out after many years he was a prime minister. And the religious people will stay out and the Minister of Finance will be the biggest Nazi in the history of Earth after Adolf Hitler. There's nothing he hates more than Jews and religion. He's a Russian anti-Semite, horrible, the most corrupted person in Israel by far, who has so many investigations against him, but he's a 
Putin is behind him because supposedly he's a Russian spy. He is going to take over all the money of Israel and he declared that he has one goal, to destroy the religious people, to put them in a wheelbarrow and to dump them all to the garbage. That's what he says in an in, in interview. He is going to be in charge of all the money of the synagogues, the money of the yeshivot, the money of all the religious institutions are going to be in his hands, besides the fact that he's a huge thief that stole millions of dollars and there's nothing they can do to him. He laughs in their face because Putin is behind him. There's nothing they can do. He does whatever he wants. He laughs at everyone. He gets millions of dollars wired into his account every month. You know, if you want to wire $10,000 to Israel, the banks of Israel send it back to you. They don't receive money from America. If you send $10,000, they send it back to you the next day. Please explain to us the origin of your money. He gets wires of $3 million at the time. Easy. Nobody asks where the money comes from. Nobody mess with him. A real head of a mafia. He is going to be in charge of all the money of Israel. That's already a, a holocaust. What's going to happen in the next few months when he's going to have the power to all the money of Israel. Now I want to show you the hypocrisy of the wicked people. I didn't come here to talk to you about politics. Politics is Torah. It's a lesson for life and we're going to see how it's connected to this week parasha. Exactly the same topic. He butchered the religious people for eight years while he was in the opposition. Non-stop anti-Semitism, propaganda in Russian, words, word by word of Adolf Hitler in his commercials. Word by word what Hitler used to say to the Germans against the Jews. He actually copied his words. He used him and his other people from his party, words by words repeating the Nazis' propaganda. But why does he hate the religious people so much? Because they receive one billion shekel a year budget. You have about a million and a half citizens are, are religious. They pay taxes, a lot more than a billion and a half, a lot more. And they receive budgets, a little bit for yeshivot, a little bit for synagogues, a little bit for culture. It drives him crazy that religious people get a budget. He called them parasites, worthless. You do not help, you don't contribute. What do we need you to learn Torah? Make sure everybody goes to work, everyone goes to the army, close the yeshivot. That's his mission, to destroy Judaism. One billion shekel, he was going crazy every week on news against religious people in Israel. In one second, he signed a bill to give the Arab terrorist who called for every one of us to be slaughtered, and they're not hiding it, 53 billion shekel is going to give them. Now one billion. And by the way, He's not a lefty. If he was a lefty, there's no surprise. Lefties are Arabs. There's no difference. He supposedly hate the Arabs almost as much as he hates religious people. Almost as much. If he hates us 100, he hates Arab 95. 
But because he hates us so much, and he hates Netanyahu so much, and he wants to get revenge against him, he's willing to give the enemies of Israel 53 billion shekel. Do you understand the amount of money we're talking about? It will take Israel 30 years to cover for this damage. And they declare every day that they are busy preparing for the destruction of all Jews in Israel. So here you go. That's what's going on. So that's a very serious problem. Very serious problem. What's going to happen? Only Hashem knows. One thing for sure, one thing for sure, we are the reason why things like this happen. Each one of us, it's his fault. Sfaradim, Ashkenazim, Hasidim, Chilonim, everyone. Every one of us is guilty because of us, Hashem is keep punishing us more and more and more and more and the situation become worse and worse and worse. Only get worse, just when you think we reach the lowest, that's it, there's no way to go lower. You get shocked. Another new law is set by these dirty politicians. Another new law, and another one, and another one. So basically right now as it looks, if Hashem will not perform a miracle in the next few days, we are, I don't want to say, I don't want to say destroyed, but we are in the worst situation we've been in in 70 years since Israel became a state. Now, what is Hashem expecting? My opinion, Hashem expects a million and a half people that walks with Yamaka on the, on the red, women that are religious, to walk to the streets of Israel for one week and demonstrate non-stop, non-stop demonstrations. Not to, let, not to let go. Demonstrate by the Supreme Court, by all the wicked lefties, by the Knesset, by the government, everywhere. To make mamash riots, I don't say violent riots, but demonstration. Big demonstrations, because we are not Arabs. Arabs shoot, Arabs burns, Arabs are very violent. We do not want to be like them. We also don't want to do what the people here in New York did in a, in a riots here a few months ago. That's not the nature of Bnei Torah. Bnei Torah are not violent people. You can only be violent in a war. Go to war with your enemies out of Israel. <laughs> if you don't kill them, they'll kill you. Right now, the only way to maybe do something and to keep them down is to mamash go out to the streets. If it's not going to happen, we are doomed. We are finished. I cannot ima even imagine how many yeshivot will close down in the next year because they're going to shut all their budget. They will not transfer any money. And that's why we have to realize we actually brought it on ourselves. There's nobody to blame but ourselves. Remember, it's easy to blame them and him and the traders. Yes, it's all their fault. There's a trader. He lied to all his voters. They have no dignity whatsoever. However, if Hashem did not want it, it would not happen. 
You know what's the difference between us and the righteous people? I'll tell you what. When you walk in the street and you slide on something on the floor, I don't know, you have banana peel, maybe there was oil stain on the floor. You didn't realize and you fell. Boom, you banged your head. What do you do? You get up and you turn around and look at the floor. What caused me to fall? A righteous person does not look back on the floor. He looks up to Hashem. What did I do to deserve it? That's the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha. Rasha, everything by him is, everything by him is nature. Nature. Tzaddik, everything by him is Hashem. That's the difference. It's all Hashem. You seek Hashem. You lost money, Hashem. Someone insulted you, Hashem. The goyim kicked you out of the country, Hashem. The immigration didn't let you in, Hashem. All these things. Or your wife rebel against you, it's also from Hashem. If your wife gives you hell, and she fights with you, and she threatens, and she refuses to cooperate with, with, uh, with your religion, that means that you yourself brought it on yourself. Why? Because a woman always will surrender to her husband if he treats her well. If she doesn't surrender, that means he doesn't respect her, he puts her down, he doesn't give her love, no intention, he's not generous enough with her, he doesn't appreciate what she's doing. As a result of it, from her subconscious, all she wants is to hurt him. She doesn't even aware of it. If you ask her, how much you hate your husband? I don't hate him. How much you angry at him? I'm not even angry at him. She may even say he's a good man, but if you connect her to, her, to if you hypnotize her, you're going to get all the truth out of her subconscious, how much she's hurt, and how she feels humiliated, and how he doesn't respect me, and doesn't appreciate me. The way to make women religious is make them happy. They're happy in their heart. Whatever the husband wants, they'll do. If they're not happy in the heart, whatever the husband wants, they'll do the opposite. You can prove to her, even if Hashem will come and speak to her, it's not going to help, because a woman works only with her heart. That's the way it is. Same thing children. Children works with heart. You buy them ice cream, they are yours for life. If you're a guest, you bought them a nice toy, or you bring them a nice ice cream or chocolate, that's it. They like you forever. You give them a bad scream or a bad look, they hate you forever. Nothing will change it. That's it. It goes only with the heart. People, man, is thinking rationally. Prove to me. Let me see proofs. I want to see. I don't want to see. Prove to me. Didn't prove to me. By women, it's all emotions. A lot of the conflicts between men and women about religion is only personal arguments. Once the men become a man, no comments, not criticism, not putting her down, do not say bad words to her, everything she wears is amazing, you look amazing, you dress amazing, you're a great mother, what a wife I got, wow, how would I survive without you? All these words that women love to hear. All the resentment 
in a week or two, are gone through the window. And that's an advice, not of me, of Chazal, based on what the Torah says. The nature of the world that the man control the woman on one condition that she feels appreciated. If she does, she has no problem to be your servant. Even if she's a big doctor and you're only a driver. Doesn't matter. The nature of a woman, a woman wants a man. Many women told me over the years, I would like to marry a Sephardi man. I said, but you Ashkenazi. She said, no, I don't want an Ashkenazi man. They're too soft for me. I want an aggressive Sephardi man to boss me around. Interesting. I said, wouldn't you want a nice Ashkenazi one who never tell you what to do and you be the boss in the house? No, that's not what I'm looking for. I only want a Sephardi man. Why? Aggressive. Why Sephardi aggressive? They come from Arab countries. In Arab countries, where the Islam is dominant, unfortunately women have no say. They are a picture on a wall, at best case scenario. Can vote, some countries they don't even let them drive. They have no rights, obviously, and they will never make a beep, and nobody cares about their opinions, and they are very primitive of a way. Because you grew up in some countries, obviously the man is the boss. The woman will not try to boss anyone in an Arab country, but in Europe, it's a whole different story. So Jews that grew up in Europe, they are influenced by the, by the European countries. Jews who grew up in Arabic countries, such as Kafkaz, Uzbekistan, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, you know, all these places, they have the mentality of the Middle East. Today is changing, by the way. It's changing very much. Today, many Sephardi men that grew up here in America, or even in Israel, they also became very, very soft. And, uh, you know, they're not really do what they're supposed to do as a man in a house. This parasha that we read, it's talking about one of the biggest scenes that happened in the 40 years that we were in the desert. The scene of the spies, 12 spies, went to spy on the Holy Land. Each one of them, at the time they were chosen, was a righteous president, a president of a tribe. You don't become a president of the tribe unless you're somebody special, like, like, the, like the Torah says, Anshe Shem, people with a name, with reputation. Anshe Shem. And these people, you know, they had one thing in mind, the Zohar said. The Zohar said, there are two kinds of ways to behave. One is, when you do something, you think about yourself. What's in it for me? What will I gain? What will I lose? Based on that, I will design my ideology, my decision, my choices based on what will I gain or what will I lose. That's a wicked way. That's not a right way. The right way is, what does Hashem want? Forget about me. I'm nothing. I like this, I want that. Forget about it, it's not relevant. What does Hashem want? Let's see what Hashem wants. And let me match my will and my wishes to what Hashem wants. Not always you know what Hashem wants. How do you know always what Hashem wants? 
The answer is you go to the Chacham. Chacham, what should I do? It's called Da'at Torah. The opinion of the Torah. Should I follow my heart? Should I follow my brain? Should I give? Should I not give? Should I wait? That's a question that you need a Chacham. Chacham, he sees what you don't see. You move sometimes from emotions. You're sometimes frustrated. Sometimes you're angry. You have two or three days of anger. You can make a terrible decision will destroy your life or the life of your children. But the Chacham is objective. He sees what the, he knows a lot of Torah. He looks at your situation. He match between your situation to what the Torah want, what the Torah recommend, just like a doctor. The doctor knows medicine. And he sees your body, examine your body, and he does his thinking between the information he just found out. He checked your body and what he already know. And he will tell you, take this, take that, don't take this, don't do that. Why? Based on his knowledge. A doctor has knowledge in medicine. Rabbi is a doctor of a soul. Plus, he can give you good advice based on what the Torah like and based on what the Torah hate. But it has to be a kosher one. Not everyone who makes lectures on YouTube is kosher. Some speakers are extremely dangerous. Some speakers, they teach uh, heresy. They're heretic. 100% heretic. Kufrim. Apikorsim. That's what the Gemara called them. Some speakers are not apikorsim, but they have very soft approach, also worthless. You can sit 10,000 hours in their lectures, and after 20 years, you did not change even 1% for the good. You stay the same. Why? They never shake your heart. They never put fear in your heart. They never shook you up from all your nonsense and brought you on the right track. They can only teach you actually a few things. They never make you feel guilty. You don't ever have a problem with that. And 20 years later, it's still the same. You can come to the synagogue with your jeans, with your holes, with your high blorit, with the gel, with the earring, with the car on Shabbat, 20 years. Now one time they will approach your issues. They see you committing the biggest crimes in the Torah. What is it for me? I don't care. Let him die, let him rot in hell forever. I'm the, the, I'm the chief over here, I like the place, I like my salary, I enjoy. Why should I start arguing with people? I teach a little bit of Padavarasha, I teach a little bit Halachot every day. Whatever he does is not my problem. That's not good. The right approach is, whatever he does, it's my problem. If I'm the leader here, if I'm the chief, if I'm the rabbi, if I'm the speaker, if people accept from me Musar, it becomes my obligation to shake them up and wake them up. So what do we see over here? We have 12 spies, 2 righteous, 10 wicked. In the beginning, Hashem only told Moshe, send two. Whenever Hashem speaks about something plural, without saying the number, when Hashem does not say the number, 
plural just like that, you speak in a plural language, it's two. Right? If Hashem wanted more than two, he would say a number. If you only speak in a plural language, it's two. Send two. Which two? The two you trust. Which one? Yoshua ben Nun and Kalev ben Yifune. They are righteous. Send them. Who is Kalev? What's Kalev to Moshe? What's the relationship between them? Huh? Brother-in-laws. He's married to Miriam. Miriam the prophet. So he's your brother-in-law. Meaning you eat in the same Shabbos table. You're a family. You know who he is. It's not a stranger. Who is Yoshua? Your right-hand man student. He will give his life for you. He's your servant. He admires you. When Eldad and Medad had a prophecy that Moshe will die, then Yoshua will be the leader that will bring Israel into the Holy Land. Yoshua, instead of being happy, I'm going to be the leader who brings the Jewish nation into Israel. He got very upset. He ran to Moshe and said, what are these two are saying? Put them in jail. Anyone else will be so happy. Yes. Yes, I'm becoming the king. Soon the king is going to die. As much as I love him, it could be your uncle. Sometimes it's even his father and he's happy. The son of Saddam Hussein pray every day that he will die, that he should be the king of Iraq. Same thing in Jordan and same thing in everywhere else you go. They care about their father, these people. They want the power. But Yoshua is a tzaddik. As soon as he heard that those two say that Moshe is going to die and he's going to bring Israel to the land, they got very upset. he got very upset. He ran to Moshe. What is going on here? Who gave them permission to say these things? Why? Moshe, said, Moshe is so humble. He said, why are you so upset? I wish all the Jews would be prophets. Well, but he's saying that I'm going to take your place. Very good. Why? Moshe doesn't think about what's good for me. He thinks what Hashem wants. For Hashem, I am his vessel. Whatever you want to dump on me, I am your servant. I'm, a servant does not tell his master what he would like to do. What am I in the mood to do? A servant accepts whatever his master says. Yes, master. Yes, master. Yes, master. All day, every day, every year, all his life. Kalev, why his name is Kalev? Kulolev. His, his personality is all heart. Full of love to Hashem. Why is Moatz ben Yefune? There's a hint. What is it? Pana me'atzat meraglim. Yefune means to put something aside, push it aside, clear it from the way. He cleared himself from the path of these wicked people. In a book, Chovot Alevavot, this legendary book from almost a thousand years ago, Shar Yud, chapter six, he writes over there. One of the Hasidim, speaking about one of the Irim, someone who has Irat Shamayim, fear from God, he found him sleeping at night in a desert. I don't have to tell you how dangerous it is to sleep in a desert at night under the sky. You have snakes, scorpions, and even lions, foxes, all kinds of animals, coyotes. You never know before you realize someone will bite your neck. 
very dangerous. So he said to him, don't you afraid of the, of the lions? Aren't you afraid of the lions? That you sleep in such a place? He said, I'm so embarrassed from Hashem that I have no leverage to fear anyone but Him. I'm so ashamed from Hashem, the only one I'm afraid of is Hashem. I have no, nothing in my head to be afraid of anyone else. He was so afraid of Hashem that the last thing on his mind was bad animals. A person that is full of love to Hashem does not pay attention to fear anything else but Hashem. This kind of person, every crisis in his life, it's piece of cake, easy. It doesn't break him. Because the only one I'm really going, my goal is an Hashem. The only goal is against, is against you know, what Hashem is, wants and what he's going to tell me. One person say about the rabbi from Brisk, the big Talmud Chacham Tzadik, he say, the rabbi from Brisk does not deserve to get a reward for his mitzvot. Why? With such fear of Hashem, how can you even make one sin? It's like some, someone has a gun pointed to his head. Will he make a sin? If someone pointed a gun to any one of our head, would you be able to move a, a second without thinking about what's going to happen? There's a gun pointing in you. You will think ten times before you speak. Ten times before you move. Ten times before you do anything. Why? There's a gun pointing at you. Fear. If you're afraid of Hashem to such a level that you're afraid to make a scene, what reward you deserve? You're already in such a high level of fear, you don't really have a test. It's like a gun to your head. Is that a good point or no? What do you think? Someone who reached such a level deserves a reward like someone who doesn't have fear from God or he doesn't deserve? The answer is, the Rebbe from Brisk will get a full reward. Why? Because he brought himself to such a level. Once you bring yourself to such a level, that's it. From now on, life becomes a lot easier. You don't have to work so hard. You already reached there. Therefore, from there on, anything you will do, you will get a full reward. The Gemara says in Masechet Yevamot, page 63, And Ben David Ba, Ad Shichlu Kol HaNeshamot Shebaguf. The Messiah will not come until all the souls in the body, body in this case, it's a tank in heaven, that Hashem over there store all the souls of the people that died. They're waiting to be reincarnated. They're waiting to come again to the world to be corrected. Until they come to the world, they have to remain there on hold. Those are souls who do not go to hell yet, or did not go to Kafakela. They're waiting to be reincarnated. But sometimes Hashem does not find the right place to send them. So they can be there 10 years, 20 years. Until Hashem finds the right husband and wife that can handle such a soul and they live in such a place where Hashem wants this person to live and he makes Shiduchim 
this person who needs to come back to the world with this couple that lives in New York. The next week they have a baby and he sends him to the body of their baby. What about all the other souls? They are still there. So as long as there are souls over there in a tank, the Mashiach cannot come. Why? Because once Mashiach comes, there's no more incarnations. There's no more test. Because Hashem destroys the Satan. There's no more Yetzirah, no more evil inclination. Because there is no more evil inclination, there's not going to be more desires, there's not going to be more lies and pride and ego and anger and laziness and stinginess and lack of modesty. All of these things will be gone. Remember, right now we, all, we only do all these bad things for one reason. We're full of desires and evil inclination and Yetzirah kills us. If you shut the Yetzirah switch, no one will make one sin. You don't have desires, you don't have anger, you don't have jealousy, you don't have laziness. How would you make sins? You have no desire. You're so in love with the Torah, you're so in love with Hashem, you do not even think for a second to even make a sin. Right now, the only way a person makes a sin is, although he loves Hashem very much, he also loves his stomach. Although he loves Hashem very much, he also loves women. Although he loves Hashem very much, he also loves money, or cars, or vacations, or to sleep. Many different things he loves. Once you take all these desires away, it becomes very, very pure. So then we have a problem now. What's the problem? We have a question. In Sanhedrin Tzadik Chet, 81, uh, 91, sorry, 91, it's written, Ani Hashem Hishena. That's, that's in Isaiah 60, verse 22. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22. It's written, there are two ways for the Mashiach to come. One prior to schedule, and one on schedule. Prior to schedule, it's gone already. It won't happen. Until 31 years ago, if it happened before that, it would be prior to schedule. Now, we are already in the last quarter from 24 quarters of the creation. 24 quarters. The world is 6,000 years. Each quarter is 250 years. 23 quarters are behind us, which is 5,750 years, right? And from the last 250 years, already 21 years passed. 31 years. 31 years passed. So what happened? We are in Acharit Ayamim, the end of days. But in a prophet who lived 2,600 years ago, he said you should know. Maybe Mashiach will come in the end as scheduled. Maybe it will come ahead of time. It's depend on you. Depend on the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation messed up. They did not gain any merit enough to bring Mashiach prior to schedule. But what would have happened if 500 years ago we were so righteous that the Mashiach would have to come? The goof, the tank of all the souls, is still full of souls. What's going to happen with all these souls? You may have over there half a million souls. If, Mashiach would, if Hashem said to Mashiach, tomorrow you're going, that's it. 
I'm saving the world. What happened to all these neshamot? What's going to happen? If it's waiting to the end of days, okay, you had enough chances. But now, if it will be at 500 years ahead of time or 1,000 years before, what's going to happen to all these souls? The answer is, Rabotai, the Midrash says in Egypt, the women gave birth to six babies in one shot, one delivery. There is in the Midrash that one woman gave birth to 600,000 people. Who was this woman? What was her name? First of all, do you really buy it that one woman gave birth to 600,000 people? Obviously, it's not literally, right? You have a woman in the stomach of a woman for 600,000 babies. If there was such a thing, she couldn't pass by the highway. She would block the whole highway. Imagine a stomach like this, 600,000 babies in it. She would be the size of five buildings. Obviously, that's not what Chazal are talking about. Who is this woman? Very good. See, women are clever. Moshe Rabbeinu, Yochevet. Moshe Rabbeinu gave Torah to 600,000 men. So the, the Midrash say, Yochevet basically gave birth to 600,000 people. Why? When you teach someone Torah, it's like your child. Moshe taught the whole nation, so they all became like their grandchildren, like her grandchildren. Very good. And then what? The question is, how is it relates to make the question that I ask? The answer is, when Hashem decides to rush the salvation, the Geulah, He will bring souls to the world that are very, very high, like Rabbi Akiva, like all kinds of Rambam, Ben Ishchai, Ariya Kadosh, all kinds of amazing souls. Each one of them can include in it hundreds of souls. Remember, souls can merge into one body. One body can have a thousand souls in it. It's like one candle that can be divided to a thousand candles. It still doesn't take away from the fire of the first candle. You light as many candles as you want. You still have the same amount. Soul is not a physical thing. If you have a physical piece of wood, you cut it in the middle, yeah, now you have two halves. You cut it again, you have four quarters. You cut it again, you have eight, eight. Until there's nothing left. A little dot. You keep cutting, then you cannot see it. But the soul, no matter how much you split it, it doesn't lose from its image or shape. It's a spiritual energy. So if you have 100 souls that Hashem wants to send in one body, it's no problem. He can send all 100 souls in one body. So if Hashem knows in two or three months I'm bringing the Mashiach, I decided on Rosh Hashanah that by uh, Shavuot is going to come, or by Pesach, which give us few months. In those few months, he can send all the Nishamot that still need to come to the world one more time. What will happen to the rest of the Nishamot? When will they come to the world? The answer is in the resurrection of the dead. 
When the tzaddikim will come out of the graves, only tzaddikim, only the righteous ones, they, Hashem saying, I opened your graves, and I took you out of your graves, and I brought back the spirit into your body, and, uh, and it's going to be an amazing moment. All the righteous people come back to life. So therefore, all the souls that are in that place called Guf will all remain to the world for the final reincarnation, and that's it. After that, no more giving birth, no more incarnations, and none of that. We have a hint to it with the name of the Nasi of Shevet Issachar. The tribe of Issachar is the tribe that learns Torah. What's his name? Igal ben Yosef. What's Igal? Will save. Salvation. Igal, the Mashiach Igal Otano, right? Will save us. Igal, Geulat Am Israel. How is it gonna come? Ben Yosef, Yosifu Banim. You give a lot of birth, more and more souls will come. Hashem will finish all the souls of that goof, and that's when the Geulah will come. Bezrat Hashem. Lemate Zvulun. Zvulun is the sponsor. Who gets a bigger reward? Zvulun or Issachar? Zvulun. Who says it's bad to be rich? What happens if you're rich and total ignorant? You don't know anything. You come to Shiur, a minute later you forget everything. You go to Yeshiva. What did you learn in Shiur, Zvulun? Don't ask me about this. Ask me about this, ask me about that. Don't ask me about the shiur. Please, don't embarrass me. Like this, 20 years. But he gives tons of money. He has a Talmud Chacham. He pays all his bills, the entire family. 20 years like that. Then he dies. He's 75. Hashem took him to court of heaven. Now Hashem he has to give him the... 20 years that he sponsored the Talmud Chacham, all the Torah he learned is trillions of mitzvot, went to the account of this guy's Vulun. But we still have a big embarrassment. He comes to the court of heaven and they tell him, you have to give us a nice lecture. And he say, New York was a very humid place, there was a lot of traffic. You know, what is he gonna say? He's like, come on, give us Mishnayot, Give us Gemara, tell us the old Shulchan Aruch, how many parts there are in Shulchan Aruch? How many chapters, how many simanim? What's the first halacha in Shulchan I told you, talk to me about real estate, talk to me about it. I have no idea. That's going to be a very big embarrassment. What are we going to do with him? What is he going to do in Olam Abba? We will answer it in a minute. Issachar, as we say, they learn Torah. Zvulun is the sponsor. They make sure Issachar can learn without headache. The Gemara in Masechet Brachot, page 63, the Gemara says, the Chachamim sets in a vineyard in Yavne. They spoke about praising the Torah. One of them said, about one of them mentioned Oved Edom Hagiti. Did you hear about him or no? 
Listen carefully now. Once there was a war between the nation of Israel to the Philistines. Not Palestinians. Palestinians are crooks that took, stole their names of the Philistines. Palestinians are regular Arabs, Egyptian, Jordanian, Saudis, Iraqis, who came to live in Israel in a time when the Jews were in exile. And because the British called Israel Palestina, they actually saw that it's a great opportunity to steal the name after the British left. So they called themselves Palestinians. But until 1964, there was no such nation. Bunch of crooks. Every word from their mouth is a lie. Not only between them and the Jews, between them to themselves. I know a few of them. They testify to me. Don't take it too hard. So how do you lie about this? How do you lie about that? Don't worry, we lie to each other nonstop. We lie to brothers and brothers, parents. That's our culture. It's all about lies. Interesting, they confess. By us, it's no big deal. Everyone knows everyone is kadab. Kadab means a crook, a liar. That's the culture. In other places, it's not like that. You go to Ireland, you go to Italy, maybe even here in America. Not everyone is a crook. One guy is a crook, the next one is honest. There is one guy in Monsi, sell tires. That's his job. My brother went to buy four brand new tires from him. And a few days later he had an accident. The car got total lost. The tires already had dust on them. But the brand new tires, he only drove them three days. He came back to him and he said to him, uh, will I be able to sell them back to you? Maybe you give him some of, some of the money. He said, why some of the money? I'll give you a full refund. He took back the tires and gave him full refund. Yeah, some goyim that are extremely honest. Here he was chassid. Midat chassidut. If he would give him 80% of the money, it would still be an act, a righteous act. Right? 80% of the money. He would be more than happy. Or even 50%. Like a used tire. But that guy, is a, he has very good reputation. Everyone knows this guy is like a ruler. You have going that are righteous. But when the whole culture is about lies, that's already a problem. You don't know what to expect. So one time there was a war between Israel and the Philistines. Israel decided, let's take the coffin of Hashem that has the luchot inside, the commandments. We'll take it with us to the war. That's the hand of Hashem touched it. Who can win us against, the, against this? We have such a great amulet. It's Kamea. We'll go with that to the war and we'll defeat our enemies. So when they go to the war, what happened? They lost. The Egyptians, the Philistines beat them up. Why? Because they were doing a lot of wicked things. Hashem wanted to show them as one thing you take my Aaron to the war but it's not going to be enough if all of you are going to be wicked. So the Goim will win the war. The Goim capture the coffin, the Aaron with the commandments inside. 
But just when they caught it, when they caught it, there was a young boy. His name was Shaul. One day will be the king of Israel. He ran, opened it up, took the commandments from there, and ran away. So the Egyptians had an empty Aaron. Empty. Tov? They are not Egyptians. They the, the Philistines. Who did he steal it from? From the hand of Goliath, the giant Goliath. Shaul grabbed it and ran away. So they, got, they left with Aaron Hashem without Luchot Abrit. Once the Egyptian had it, they, the Philistines had it, Hashem is heeding them day and night. Pandemic after pandemic. Corona, SARS, <laughs> Ebola, <laughs> everything you can think of. They dying, they all get sick. Tragedy after tragedy. They said, let's move this Aaron of the Jews to a different city. They moved it to a different city. In this city, everyone stopped to die. In the new city, people begin to die. So what's going on? Let's move it again. Every place they put it, Hashem is angry at the place. Anger fall on that place. People begin to get sick. They die. They realize, these Philistines, they came to the Jews. Take it! Get lost, you and your Aaron. We don't want it. They got the point. So they returned it. Once they put it down, they put it by the, on, a, on a wheel, on wheels, tie it to some cows, oxes, hit them, and they started to walk. And that's when the Jews found it. When did it arrive? To Bechemesh. Bechemesh, where all the American Jews like to move to. Ramat Bechemesh. It was right when David Amelech became the king. Mamash, the same time. He, he, he sent to bring the, the Aaron to Jerusalem. Why it should be in Bechemesh? Bring it to Jerusalem. But he had a mistake. Instead of carrying the Aaron in the hands, right, as the Torah says, you have to carry it on your shoulders. What did he do? They took him in on wheels. The Jews put him on wheels and they took him. There was a man named Uzzah. Uzzah, Hashem killed him on the spot. David was shocked. Why Uzzah had to die? When David saw that, he said, stop. Stop. Let's see what we should do. Why did Hashem get angry at us? We are trying to bring it to Yerushalayim. In the meantime, there was a man named Oved Edom Agiti. This Oved, he took the Aaron Abrit, the Aaron Hashem, to his house in Kiryat Yarim, close to Jerusalem. Today they call it Telstone. You heard about it? When you go to Jerusalem, you see on the right side, Kiryat Yarim, Telstone. It's maybe 10, 8 miles before Jerusalem, not even, 7 miles. When he was there for three months in his house, three months. Once he had it in his house, Hashem gave him such blessing, 
you cannot imagine all his eight daughter-in-laws were giving birth to six babies in one shot. First one, six. Second one, six. <laughs> What's going on here? Six, six, six. Six times eight. All the eight babies he had, grandchildren. In three months. Three months. Similar to what happened in Egypt. The Chachamim are teaching us a law. The law is called Kalvachomer. Needless to say. What does it mean? Ma'aron shelo achal v'shata ela kibet v'ribetz lefanav. What's this? Aron abrit, the closet of Hashem, the coffin that does not eat and does not drink. And it doesn't do anything for you. It's just a raw material. If you're hosting it in your house, you get so much blessing. If a Talmud Chacham that knows Torah come to your house and live by you and you feed him and you cook for him and you serve him drink and you give him everything he needs, shower and whatever he needs or if he needs a car, needless to say how much blessing will come to you. For such raw material, that is holy of Hashem. Imagine someone that is a big chacham. Big chacham comes to your house and you're hosting him and you take care of him and you run for him. Rabbi, where should I take you? Where should I drive you? How much money you need? Where do you have to go? Where can I give you a ride? You okay? Is the air condition okay? Is, are you too cold? Are you too hot? Stay longer. Don't rush to go home. You can tell your wife to come also. What's the rush? Whatever you need, stay as long as you need. <laughs> That's only helping yourself. That's what the Gemara says. Rav Moshe Mordechai Schrusinger Zatzal was telling a story about a generous rich man that gave a lot of money to sponsor the yeshiva of Slovotka. Slovotka yeshiva was one of the best Ashkenazi yeshivot in Europe. And they decided to pay him respect, since he's one of the main sponsors, they invited him to the yeshiva. Who was the Rosh Yeshiva? Rav Yecheskel Avramsky Zatzal. Was one of the Gdole Ador, one of the biggest rabbis in the world. He had a shiur, and after that they have the meal, after the, the shiur that he gives, the lessons that he gave. So they said, why don't you come to the shiur of the Rav and stay for the meal? which we will honor you. The rich man came for an hour and a half and he doesn't understand one word. Like this, an hour and a half. <laughs> Someone, how long it's gonna be? Long, long time. Still a long time to go. Finally, the nightmare finished after an hour and a half. The rabbi shook his hand. Now they started the meal. They gave him all the honor that he needed. Baruch Hashem. 
The question is, what will happen to this rich guy that was so generous to the yeshiva when he dies? When he go up to the court of heaven and they're going to put him in heaven, he will have to be the same place of the yeshiva boys. Thanks to, them, thanks to him, they learn Torah. But when he's going to be over there in the highest level of Torah, he doesn't understand anything. It's going to be not heaven for him, it's going to be hell. Bring me back to New York, to my nice house in the grill in the backyard, and my pool. What am I doing here? The answer is no. He's going to learn all the Torah that they learn will be inserted by him in one shot. Before Hashem will send him to his place in heaven, all the Torah of the people that he gave money to will be transferred to him as a gift. Just like Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe as a gift when he was in Mount Sinai, he is going to get the gift of the Torah. If you are wondering how can it be, listen to this story. Rabbi Chaim Ivolojin was the student of the Gaon Mivilna. Thanks to him, you have all the yeshivot in Europe. The Russians tried to force him to, to teach Russian in, this, in the yeshiva. Math, Russian, just like here. English, math, science. He said to them, I'm sorry, we only learn Torah. We don't want anything secular in the yeshiva. So if you're not going to allow it, we close your yeshiva. Just like the Democrats here. Just like the wicked Reshaim in Israel. Nothing is new under the sun. The Reshaim are the same Reshaim. They just come with different approach from time to time. So what happened? They closed the yeshiva and the people that went out of that yeshiva opened ten. In the end, there was ten yeshivot. Rav Chaim Ivolojin, that's why they call him Avia Yeshivot, the father or the founder of all the yeshivot. He said, I don't care if Hashem will close the yeshiva, we'll close the yeshiva. We will not surrender to the communist, liberal, wicked Russians. Very interesting. Tonight we're going to hear Russian soon. Perfect timing. So before Rav Chaim Ivolojin passed, before, uh, no, before the sponsor of his yeshiva passed, before he died, he asked Rav Chaim, can you learn Mishnayot for my soul after I die? Mishnah and Neshama is the same letters. Mishnayot that you learn for someone that died helps the Neshama. Also to sponsor lectures. People that sponsor lecture, or they say Kaddish for the soul, or they pay a Bachur Yeshiva to say Kaddish, if they're not Shomer Shabbat. If you're not Shomer Shabbat, your Kaddish will not help anything. You waste your time. But if you're Shomer Shabbat, you count like a Jew. Non-Shomer Shabbat, count like a Goy. Goy cannot say Kaddish for anyone. Mechalel Shabbat, areu ke Goy lechol davar. That's written seven times in Shulchan Aruch. So what happened? If you do not Shomer Shabbat, Give money to someone in yeshiva that keeps Shabbat. Say Kaddish for one year for my father or mother or brother or husband or wife or son, whatever the case is. But 
he came to Rav Chaim Ivolojin and he said, please learn. Oh, wow, it's late. We're going to finish right after this story. He said, please learn Torah, learn Mishnayot for my Neshama. When Rav Chaim Ivolojin arrived to one Mishnah, he didn't understand. He tried, tried, tried until he fell asleep. Once he fell asleep, who came to him in a dream? The rich guy. He came to him and told him the entire Mishnah. When Rachaim got up, this is what he said. I know, I know that they teach the sponsors all the Torah that we learn with their money. I just did not know how quick it is. He only died, and the next day already came and taught me the Mishnah. But when he was alive, he barely could read. He was only a businessman. He didn't know Mishnayot. In one day, he told Rav Chaim Ivolojin how to understand this Mishnah. I would like to finish because Rav Shaulov is already waiting to take the stage. So I would like just to finish with one last thing, and we're done here. The end of the parasha is speaking about Mekoshesh. Someone that was Mechalel Shabbat, first one in history. This was the second Shabbat. First Shabbat that we got was before we got the Torah. Everyone kept Shabbat. Second Shabbat, this guy, what's his name? The Gemara said, Tzlofchad. Rabbi Akiva taught his name. Nobody knew his name. Rabbi Akiva said, who was it? Tzlofchad. He was the Mekoshesh. He made a pile of things, weeds, collected, cut. It's not clear 100% what Chilul Shabbat he did, but he broke Shabbat. Moshe did not know how to kill him. He knew that Mechalel Shabbat has to be put to death, but how, he didn't know. So he put him in jail, and he waited for Hashem to tell him what to do. So what happened? Hashem said to him, yes, I want you to execute him by stoning. Take rocks, the entire nation should hold rocks size of a melon, and all throw it on his head and kill him. Because that's what a Mechalel Shabbat deserved to get. And it did not change until today. Still today, everyone was Mechalel Shabbat. When he dies, that's what he's gonna get when he go up to Shamaim. It's 100%, you may ask me, how? His body is going to be in a grave, and the soul is going to go up to Shammai. How exactly is going to get stoned? Just like in a dream. In a dream is 100% real. You dream that you are burning. You feel like you're burning. You dream that you are falling from a building and crash. You scream, you sweat, your heart beat. You dream that someone throw rocks at you. You dream that a snake beat you. You dream all kinds of horrible things. It's one million percent real pain and suffering. Until you wake up. Wow, it was only a dream. But how long was the dream? Nine seconds. How long did it take for you? Six months. Six months. You're beating up, people beating you up, you're drowning, sharks coming to bite you. You're in the middle of the ocean. How, how six months fit in nine seconds? 
In a spiritual world, there's no time like here. It's all simulation. Whatever Hashem wants you to feel, that's what you're going to feel. If He wants you to feel 20 years in Gainom, that's what you're going to feel. If He wants you to feel 500 years in Gainom, that's what you're going to feel. Until it will be over. But once it's taking place, then the Shama will feel it 1,000% just like here in Auschwitz. Same suffering. So Tzlofchad, why did he do that? Why Tzlofchad broke Shabbat? He, he heard the voice of Hashem. Why would he dare to break Shabbat? The answer is, Rabotai, the answer is, he wanted to do Lashem Shamayim. After the Jewish nation found out that Hashem gave them a punishment that they will not enter Israel in the next 40 years until all the people will die, it's going to take 40 years. He said, now no one would want to be religious. Anyway, we're not going to Israel. We're going to die in a desert. So they're going to start breaking Shabbat. Let me be an example of what Mechalel Shabbat deserves to get. I'm giving my life for other people not to be Mechalel Shabbat. So he deserves a reward or he deserves a punishment? The lady say here Kiddush Hashem. Someone else say here reward. If you want to do a sin for the sake of heaven, you deserve a reward or you deserve a punishment? The answer is you deserve a punishment. You know what happened to Tzlofchad? Shh. Wait. Shh. You know what happened to Tzlofchad? Tzlofchad came up to Shamaim. Listen carefully and Mamash, we finish. Tzlofchad went up to Shamaim. And he was very sure that he's going to get a big prize for it. The angel told him, I have something to show you. You ready? He pressed play on his video. And Tzlofchad started to see destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians, slaughtering Jews, thousands of them every day, destruction of the second temple, the Greeks, Haman, the, the, the exile that the Jews left Israel, the Arabs, the problems, the pogroms, the Holocaust, all of this, the Arabs, the Intifada, and Bennett. Everything they show to Tzlofchad. Why do I have to show him that? After the video finished, they told him, all of that, it's your fault. You want a reward? It's my fault. <laughs> what do I have to do with them? They say, listen, you fool. If the nation of Israel will keep two Shabbatot, the Mashiach will come, Miyad Nigalim. Because of you, they did not get saved. Because they didn't get saved, 3,300 years of suffering, and it's still going on. And you want to get a reward? The conclusion, you are not smarter than Hashem. Stick to the rules. I'm going to do Hashem Shamayim. This is allowed. Kiddush Hashem, a lady gives you a hand. What happened? Say, I'm sorry, I'm religious. I don't shake hands of women. 
What happened? Let go. It's holding her like her, like this for 10 minutes. Moshe, what happened? You're not allowed to shake hands with women. Don't tell me what to do. It's Chilul Hashem. What? This uh, lawyer, she's, she wants to shake my hand. I won't shake her hands. It's Chilul Hashem. She's going to say what kind of religious people we are. Tell me, Moshe, when, when Shulchan Aruch was written, when Chazal lived 2,000 years ago, and they say you're not allowed to shake the hand of a woman. They did not know that sometimes it's going to be awkward and embarrassing? Of course they know. Don't you think they had the same test? When the Roman fancy ladies came to shake their hands and they said, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to touch you. But you're welcome. She didn't get upset. What makes you think that you're going to save the religion? Bezrat Hashem Rabotai, I have a lot more to say. The next I'm going to continue tomorrow in Queens. And Tuesday in 2286 Coney Island Avenue. Every Tuesday I speak here at 8.15. Right there next to Chabad. You're more than welcome. Please download my app, Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi. There's a few books for free if you want to get. I would like to invite Baruch Hashem, one of the strong speakers of today's generation, he will speak to you in Russian. He speaks good. He speaks strong. He shakes the heart. Sometimes I feel like a little child compared to him. <laughs> well, I'm almost in pension. Rabbi Ron and Shaulov, please.